Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bears, Blurs, and Bots. We've got a great episode today. Bears on a bye week. Okay, Bears are on a bye week. You know, no game means no disappointment. You know, I can. No loss, no win. It's all right. Uh, Blurs. Big win against Clemson. We'll get to that. And uh, we got a special guest on today, Will. Why don't you tell him who it is? Yeah, well, we told him last week. Patrick Creedon. Oh, uh, they project. Didn't get our special guest on. Uh, the extra special guest, Lucas. He's super busy out west right now. But uh, Patrick was awesome, man. He uh, gave plenty of insight. Um and yeah, it was so nice just to just to let him go on some of those topics. Um, again, like I say in the interview, but I think eighty percent of people on our Instagram said that they have seen it. Uh, it's on Paramount Plus. If if you haven't, I highly recommend it. I think I'm gonna say something, Drew, about making sure every recruit that comes in to uh, to the program has to watch this man. It, I I rewatched it over the weekend. And it, it is so rewatchable. Um, it's just, it, it's, he kind of hints at this. I didn't get to say it. It's pretty epic of, it's an epic story without the national championship game. Like, wow. Yeah. We didn't even talk about basketball really um, no. in this interview. That's and the basketball sense. side of it is crazy. Like, it, it, it's it's great. Um, so again, thank you so much to Patrick for coming on. Um that was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, so, yeah. No, no bears. Colts didn't play either. That was kind of a breath of fresh air for both of us. Um, so we won't do bears. And then, I mean, for bots, again, we're still working on stuff, just getting you out there. So no bots. Yeah. It's just, we'll, we'll recap this, uh, this Clemson game here in a sec and then talk to Patrick. And, and, and that's all we got this week. Got to, Got a light week of, of blurs, obviously, in finals right now. Send something to bullet the boys. Make sure they're they're studying. Um, I'm sure Drew's making sure they're studying. Yeah, um, yeah and then they, they have Albany this weekend. So let's get into it. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts.
right, Blurs, Ramblers with a, a very convincing win. Two wins this week against Green Bay. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on that. Pretty much, you know, good win. Good to get the guys feeling good before that Clemson game. Um, I watched I watched the Clemson game. ACC Network one. ACC Network uh, color commentators, man, they don't know jack about Loyola one. Which is, is fine. It's fine. I mean, we've we've played a, a handful of games. Uh, when we played Florida, it was SEC Network. We played a handful of games on the networks, but yeah, whenever you get one of those network games. The guys aren't going to know much about Loyola. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, someone tweeted about it. It's funny saying, like, all right, get ready for a, a national broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, man. So obviously convincing. I saw some, uh, some other things that I liked some tweets about people saying, okay, everyone can't say anything bad about Drew anymore. Or I don't want to hear it anymore. I mean, obviously, there were some people frustrated, but I don't think anything was too bad. No, no. You, you know, you can't get too too low on losses and too high on wins. You're never as bad or as good as you think you are. Yeah. Um, I'll but, say this: we made yeah. shots. We, we made shots. Yeah. Okay. That that's the name of the game in basketball, and I think know, Drew's, Drew's going to say that too. That's what he's telling them: is like, yeah, that was really good, and they did great things on both ends. But they hit a ton of shots. All right, so yeah. what's, what's their percentage? Yeah, 12. We got, open looks. we got a lot of good open looks. There was a couple threes by Phil. There was one three by Phil. I was like, ah, okay, yeah. nice shot. Like, you know, yeah. um, I, I think I, I think it's not really a secret. Um, you know, if Phil is on and he's, you know, playing aggressive, playing well, this team is much better. I mean, mm-hmm. let, let's just be honest, like, DePaul game, he, you know, missed a couple of shots. He only shot six shots against DePaul, I believe. Didn't play bad in any sense, but just, you know, he, he's got to kind of have that look in his eye and, and be aggressive. And it came out against Clemson mm-hmm. and was on it, man. He was on it. And and this team kind of feeds off that energy. And we played we we played really well. Had a couple high-low passes. Tom, I mean, Tommy Welch, man, what can you say? What can you say about this guy? He's he's gunning for uh for my career field goal percentage record. All right, yeah, I, was, I want exactly him to have it. I say, um, he's gunning for it. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he's shooting he's like eighty eight percent on the year right now. Hey, I, I don't know if people know this. Tom was uh, recruited by Clemson. He took a visit there. Yeah, yeah, he he Keese was recruited a little bit by Florida State. He could have taken a visit there. I don't think he did though. And Tom, Tom visited Clemson, so that was a good uh, little get back game for him. Um, yeah. So, just super happy for Tom, man, because you know comes in as a freshman, you know behind me wasn't gonna play much while yeah. I was there. I mean, let, let's let's just be honest. He was, yeah. like you said, you know, highly recruited. You know, soccer guy could have could have chose to play soccer, stuck with basketball, stayed home, yeah. stayed home, could have played professional soccer, chose to go to Loyola. For some reason, yeah. um, <laughs> still give him some shit about that, but yeah. um, you know, kind of stayed the course. Definitely, I mean, there were a couple years Moser was was you know Moser was tough on everybody, including including me. Like, yeah. but you know, a couple years were, were you know Tommy had we we you could see Tom had the potential, good hands, kind of you know was was uh, not necessarily uh, 
super physical, you know, but he really worked on it. You know, he's filled out his body a little bit and, um, you know, he's starting to reap some of the benefits. Even last year, you know, he, he, he played well for you guys last year. Um, and this year he's really kind of coming into his own. So super happy for him and hopefully he can, he can keep it up and he gives the Ramblers a little bit, um, you know, that lob presence, you know, he had had another lob dunk. I mean, we're running that play religiously now that side Spanish play. Stop saying that. I mean, anyone that watches the film is going to see that. I mean, I don't know the call, but I know what it is. I mean, Clearly, if, they're, they're not picking up on it. If the um, other team's coaching staff had any sort of merit, they would just scout that play and it'd be over. Well, hey, all right, give give Drew and Pat some credit. That's a hell of a play. That is they, a hell of a play. They, they do some different things to get into it. They're, yeah, they're, they're scheming it up good. They're scheming the it up good. To – and if you're hitting shots when you're doing that too, it makes it I will, I will give Drew and them credit, man. They're scheming that up, that play up really well. And we're one thing that has always been a, a Drew Valentine staple is the pick and roll with, you know, manipulating the backside help so that we get the lob. I mean, even last year, you guys ran a bunch of good stuff. With the with the lob, uh, you know whether shaking a guy up or empty corner things like that. So they, they, they that's always been in his arsenal. It, it's either the lob or if the defense isn't, then it's a kick sure. three, right? Um, which that's something you guys did really well. Your the final four run, and um, I mean you got a bunch of those lob plays. I mean Illinois um, stuff like that. Mine weren't dunks so. though. Mine were more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to dunk them. You know I wanted well, to. You know what Tom did? He did your. Uh, your catch midair. He, he did it better than out. me, though. He, yeah, oh yeah, he did that. Yeah. But he had a nice lefty finish on the yeah. lob. That was nice. Yeah. It wasn't one handed though. It wasn't I did it one handed. Did no? Did maybe it, Tom did do it one handed. It was one handed. Yeah, no, yeah. No, remember when you would miss those? What oh, Porter yeah. would do? <laughs> oh crud! <laughs> Just calm down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he wasn't saying that oh, much, uh, you know, in that, that Illinois game. By the way, Illinois. Now this is not an Illinois podcast, but they lost to Penn State, and I watched the Underwood presser, the press conference. Oh my word, he yeah. was absolutely tearing into some of his guys and the, yeah. just the team in general. Uh-huh. It was. If you haven't watched that, if you haven't watched that, go watch that. Brad Underwood presser after the Penn State loss. It, it's hmm. a it's a good laugh. It is a good laugh. Yeah, we need to we need to play them again. Um, have we said on the podcast that uh, Kofi is also in Japan? He is. He is. We might, might match up against him again. But uh, back to the Clemson game. Back to the Clemson okay. game. Right. Uh, we talked about roles, right? I think St. Thomas, man, his, he he. I saw from him in that game a more accepting of his role. He he knows he made some great passes. He 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 our our defense looked great. We went back we went back to the ice. We we played, you know, a lot of ice that last game. Yeah. We were rotating well. We were uh, our on-ball defense was great. Um yeah. you know, it seemed like guys are starting to lock in a little bit on defense. Um you know, find the roles. We like we said, we needed a couple. We need a couple defensive stopper guys to 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 up up our level on defense. Yeah. And then you know, hopefully, we got a week off. Hopefully, we can continue to to 
I kind of don't like that we have a week off because we're it's finals, know. dude. We always do this. Yeah, I know, I know. I wish it wasn't finals, but it is. Hey, uh, I kind of want to clear this up because I saw some good things about Saint, like positive, like he's accepting his role, and he definitely deserves credit for that. It's clear, but like let's let's be like clear about like if you like a role, like. The role Saint isn't like is in now does not mean he doesn't take shots. No, yeah, he's gonna take take your shots when you got them. Yeah, yeah, he'll be he he's a killer. He's he's an offensive menace. Um, and there's other guys that are on that, and like we've talked about here and Tate, and you can go down the line on the Final Four team um, that people have different roles. But yeah, that doesn't mean like your shot attempts are like vastly lower. Um, what it means is you need to think more in your mind or have like points of emphasis about what you're doing on every possession, what you have to be really good at um, and like what you can bring to the table. And part of that might be like not having this, this thing in your head about, I probably need to get a shot at this possession, um, yeah. which is like what like Braden probably should have right now. And like guys like in the past, like a Marcus Towns or, you or yeah right like i need to shoot the ball this i need to get the ball this possession like i'm gonna need to make a player shoot it yeah like if 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 there's not a good look created by a defensive mistake or a defensive lapse um you you probably should have it in mind yeah i need need to get a shot that that's that's what what people know like it's not like oh saint should just saint should never never look at who catches it no no and like Tate and here have great examples of that, of having good scoring outputs here and there. And I, I think here's last year, like it was his points were at the highest point uh, he had been at. So I, I just want to make sure, like, it's not like, oh man, like he's just a he's a ball mover and screener, like, and he's doing great at that right now. And he really has um, this whole entire year. Um, but there's <laughs> there's the kind of point of emphasis on him right now. But I think a lot of the other guys are doing better at that too. And at, again, that's credit to Drew and the staff as far as making it clear to these guys in the film room and on the practice floor, you need to take these details seriously. And, yeah. and I think people are doing that. So it's great. It's great to see that play out and uh, against a power five opponent. For sure. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a big win. Anytime you go up against a team, an ACC team, it's going to be a good team, you know, and, uh, it's good to get the win. You know, we got – I think we got another uh, – we play Stanford. Yeah. Another power, power five, power 16, Pac-12. So, uh, you know, got another opportunity. We got Albany uh, coming at home. We could get on a nice nice little uh, three-game win streak there and, and carry some momentum. Hey, I'll, I'll also say this, and I'm going to sound like LeBron right now, but, like, after the first couple of games, after Myrtle Beach, I mentioned it, but I almost – like – when we finish recording, I'm like, man, I missed an opportunity to, uh, to stand on a pedestal and talk about is that the right word to talk about Braden and how he's gonna be fine. I think that's probably all. Oh I yeah. yeah. But people that were that. saying stuff in a year about him, um, man, player I, of I, week. Player I wish of the I got week. out ahead of that. Yeah, and and it's just there's no one else that I'd rather want to be. The point guard of my favorite college basketball team. So, 
Um, it's great to see him reaping the benefits of the work I know he's doing, um, and he's doing it with the team. Um, so that that was great to see as well. Between him, Tom, and Phil, I think it was a pretty good weekend. Um, yeah, it was good. For sure. So Ramblers, like we said, got uh, Albany coming up, finals week. Thankful I'm not a part of that anymore. Going into finals. Um yeah, let's let's uh, let's get to our interview with Patrick, and uh, it, it was a good one. So enjoy, guys. Okay, we are now super honored to have on a, a great filmmaker. I'm sure some of you know him from Catholics vs. Convicts. He and his wife Christine have created a number of films together at O'Malley Creedon Productions, and he's the director of the Loyola Project. So, Patrick Creedon, welcome on. How are you? I'm really great. It's such a privilege to be here with both of you. So thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I mean, um, I, I was telling you, we, uh, we put a poll out to our audience and I, I thought this would be a, like a reasonable figure. About 80% said they've seen the Loyola Project already. Um, mm. I hope we can get that closer to 100% after this. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a major part of the year last year. I know Crut kind of missed out on that, so I'm sure Crut, you have some a uh, little more broader questions than I do because I got to see it up front and uh, what Lucas was going through, like all of last year. Uh, it, it was it was definitely cool to see kind of behind the scenes a little bit. Um, but uh, Crut, I, I know you had a question about like just just getting started with the project. Do you do you have something? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I uh, I remember. I remember meeting you, uh, Patrick, uh, I think it was my junior year up in the third level, uh, conference room up there. You were, you, yeah. you were kind of talking with Lucas and Lucas, you know, you guys had known each other and I was like, who, who is this guy here? You know, up, you know, kind of, kind of were calling some shots up there. I was like, who is this guy? And, uh, I introduced myself and everything and to come to learn, uh, about this, this project and the film and, and everything like that. Um, yeah, just talk about a little bit, you know, how it got started, the inspiration. Obviously, the story has been there um, for a long time, you know, mm -hmm. no, and no one, no one really kind of picked up on it. And, and you, you were kind of, you know, kind of a driving force and some other people and just trying to talk about the inspiration a little bit. Well, I'll preface by saying it's been one of the most rewarding films we've ever done. Um, and it's not just because of the story, but because of the tour that we've done with this film. Um, by, by the end of this school year, we will probably have been to about 300 college campuses nice. with this film. Um, if anyone's listening and they want, they want to bring the film to their school, our website is theloyolaproject.com. Um, the screenings are free. Um, and what schools typically do is they show the film and then they have kind of like a town hall meeting afterwards. That's all we ask of the schools. You can't just show the movie. We, we want people to, sh to screen the movie and then talk about what's in the film and how it relates to what's going on today. Um, and so, but to answer your question, Crut, about um, a little over three years ago, I got a phone call or a text rather. And it was one of these kind of, um, we get these every now and then. It's, uh, hey, I'm a, I'm a friend of a friend and I have a great idea for a movie and I really like some of your other movies and do you want to make this movie with us? And it's always, that's always really flattering to get a note like that. But those t conversations typically don't lead anywhere, which yeah. is fine. I mean, I, again, we, we're always looking for projects and stories. And, and I, I said to him, and I feel weird about this, but I, I was like, 
it might, I might have been, it might have been like a grumpy Tuesday for me or something, but I was like, I was like, okay, um, I'll give you 15 minutes is actually what I said, which is like, which is kind of an obnoxious, I don't think I'm an obnoxious person, but I was like, I'll give you 15 minutes on the phone. And uh, he called, he said he had seen Catholics versus convicts, which was the 30 for 30 that we did about the Notre Dame Miami rivalry. He's from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. We, we had a mutual friend. And he told me about the 1963 Loyola Ramblers and was wondering if we wanted to make the film. And what's weird about it is I'm from Chicago and I didn't know that story. A lot that's of people weird. don't. A lot of people it's, don't. It's so weird. And that's the thing. And Crut, that's where I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. What you guys did in getting to the final four brought that story back to life. I, I don't, if Ron Miller was sitting next to me or Jack Egan, both guys who played for the 63 Ramblers, if they were sitting right next to me, they would be shaking their heads. Yes. Their, their story was a great story that was fading away. Almost forgotten. Almost forgotten. hundred percent. And I'm going to get back to that in one second about almost being forgotten. But, but your trip to the final four gave the media and and the audience a chance to revisit your team and what had happened before. And here's the other thing about the story that kind of bothered me. It was just kind of unsettling to me is that so much of the 63 Ramblers story was wrapped up in the game of change, which is the, which is the game that they played against Mississippi state in the NCAA tournament in March. Um, and it was March 15th, 1963 is when that game happened. And the story was framed up around the Mississippi state guys. Yeah. It was not framed up around the Loyola guys. And for those who are not familiar, I'll just be really quick. In 1963, the Mississippi state Bulldogs were invited to play in the tournament because they won the SEC and they were invited to play in the NCAA tournament. And their governor said, no way. You are not going to go play in that tournament because we do not want our student athletes playing against black athletes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no, there was no soft peddling it. That was their policy in 1963. And the governor said, you're not doing that. And the, the team snuck out of the state and went to the tournament anyways, even though they were afraid they would get arrested when they got back to Mississippi. That is a great story. What, what, was, intri- what was interesting to me was, what about the other 364 days that year that the Loyola Ramblers had to play right. in their story and their reality? And we always saw, we always saw the Loyola Project as an opportunity to really tell the story of the Loyola team. Not that one game. It, I, the truth is, it's not even really about the championship that they mm-hmm. won yeah. in 1963. It's kind of like, what was it like to play on that team? And I, I think that that's what makes that story interesting because it really had not been told before. There was an amazing book by Mike Lenahan um, about the 1963 Loyola Ramblers and Mike's book was fantastic. And you get a you get a real glimpse of of the dynamic of that team. 
but um, but it hadn't been made in a movie. Mm-hmm. And and the last thing I'll say, sometimes my answers are long winded, so I apologize. But the Great. last thing I will say is, thank God that um, Corey McQuaid reached out to me with this idea, because during the course of making the film, three of the Ramblers passed away. And we got their final interviews uh, in the film, um, including Jerry Harkness, the captain. And so, like I said, this has been rewarding on so many different levels, but, um, but that's how this came to be. And it wasn't just a great idea to make this again, which I give credit to Corey. It was, um, it, their story hadn't been told from their perspective. Mm-hmm. One, one other thing I will just add really quickly. I'm, I'm sorry. I have one second. Keep thought. Going. <laughs> is that the other, the only other thought is that what I think was really, what really made this project special is while we were making the film, we met Lucas Williamson and Lucas was the oldest guy on the team in 2022. He was the captain. He was the guard. He literally was walking in the same shoes as Jerry Harkness was in 1963. Lucas Williamson, if you blink your eyes, if you're in 1963 and you blink your eyes, it's Lucas Williamson is carrying that torch. And we made a really, I think we made a really good decision early on that not only should Lucas be the narrator, which he did a great job of, that he should be one of the writers of the film. And really the movie is really told from his perspective. I mean, he had a full team behind him, including me and our our whole team. There's about 50 people who worked on the Loyola project, but all of us felt like the movie should be told from Lucas's perspective. That didn't mean Lucas had to be in every single meeting that we had, but every time we came to an important fork in the road or there was something that needed to be, let's say there needed to, we needed a, an opinion about the coach or an opposing team or something that happened in the story, we would take everything we learned and give it to Lucas and ask him, like, what do you make of this? What do you think of how the coach responded to this situation? Or what do you think about this team dynamic, let's say. And Lucas's perspective, and I think the audience understands this when they're watching the film, his perspective is, his perspective is way more valuable than mine is or, or anyone else on our team. Lucas was the right person to tell that story. It was the right perspective to learn about these guys from. And it was really wonderful working with him. It, it, we just had a great time together. That's great. Yeah, Patrick, there's... A lot of great stuff in there. Obviously, Lucas uh, is the ultimate ambassador of Loyola, the city of Chicago, and you know our, our team. Um, I'm I'm so glad that all worked out. You, you also mentioned the, the passing of, uh, of of some of the, the Ramblers during that time. I mean, I, I think what Jerry Les and, and Cerno, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, obviously, like it's, it's so great to see. I'm glad we got the story um, in with some of them. Um, and then Corey obviously is needs to be talked about with his role in, in getting all this to take care of and, and Northwestern Mutual. Um, but also, you know, at these at these panels, I kept on seeing so much about uh, or hearing so much about Bob Parkinson's role in making yeah. some, some listeners are, are aware of uh, his presence uh, with our team. Do, sure. do you have anything about Bob and his, his role in making it all happen? 
Yeah, Bob. Bob was in, incredible. You know, this really kind of became Bob's baby. Um, Corey had the dream of doing this. Corey's father actually played on the 1962 Ramblers, so he had a connection to the team. You know, his whole life. Yeah. Um, but Bob Parkinson was the person who made this happen. Um, and what? And I'll yeah, I'll just be fully transparent. This might be boring for some of your audience members, but. When my wife and I make a movie, we make, we, there's two different kinds of movies we make. One is kind of like a studio film, like, um, like Catholics versus Convicts. ESPN wanted to make that film. They wanted me to direct it. They reached out to us. We agreed to do it. They sent us a check. We made the movie. That's it. It's their movie. They own it. They do whatever they want to do with it. And it was a wonderful experience. I love that movie. The Loyola Project we pitched it around to some of the folks we've worked with in the past. Nobody, they all loved the story, but they just didn't, they didn't want to make that movie, you know, for whatever reason. So I told Corey, if we can raise the money independently, we would love to make the film. We will figure out our broadcast partners and we will figure out all the other details down the road. But if we can raise, I think the number we said originally I think the number was like one and a half million dollars to make the movie, which for us is kind of like kind of like a medium level sized film. Christine's Taylor Swift film for Netflix was was probably like a three million dollar movie or like a three. That was a much bigger film. Uh, She has another movie at Sundance this year, which is about Brooke Shields. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a high that's a higher level budget. But again, if we do something and we do it independently, there are fewer costs associated with it. We can oftentimes work more quickly if we do it independently. And so we figured it would be around $1.5 million. And Bob said, I'll never forget. And this is actually kind of incredible. Bob Parkinson said to me, I know your work. I love this story. You're the guy we want to tell this story. So I will give you the seed money to get started. And I will go raise that money myself. And if I come up short, I will make up the difference. Hmm. There was no contract. It was a it was a leap of faith. Yeah. We kind right. of shook hands, and that's what we decided to do. This was in 2019. Bob Parkinson passed away in December of, of 2019. He 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 died suddenly. Um, he he got a cancer diagnosis, and he passed away shortly thereafter. It was it was tragic, tragic for his family and his friends is he has so many friends in Chicago. He's an incredibly well-respected man. He, he was a key supporter of Loyola university for years. Um, it was really sad. And I have to tell you that Bob and I made a payment schedule based on our production schedule and what we would need. And Bob's checks always arrived early and even after he passed away, his checks were arriving early. He, he had passed away and the checks were still coming in to make the movie. His wife, Betty, basically picked up where Bob left off. Mm-hmm. Not only that, aside from all of that, which Absolutely. was extremely difficult, is COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And COVID meant that we had to shut down our offices. So everyone is now working remotely, which is really hard to do when you're making a movie. 
Because typically you make a movie and you're like in the edit bay all day long and you're making yeah. decisions and you're working closely together. Um, and COVID meant it took like another year to make the movie. Um, and we went a little bit over budget. We actually went significantly over budget because of COVID. And the Parkinson family was there to support us every step of the way. So, I mean, I just can't say enough about Mr. Parkinson. I, I, I met him a few times. I feel like I got to know him really well. And I think that he would be really happy with what we did with the story and, and how it reached so many people. A lot of people have seen this movie. Definitely. Yeah, it really definitely cool. aligns with, with his passion for the school and, and, and that story. Um, mm. I, I can remember him coming in uh, to the locker room a couple of times to, to talk to us, whether it's after a game or before the seasons. Um, those first two seasons I was there and he was such a warm, great presence. And like, there's two guys in my mind like that. And and the other guy is Jerry Harkness, um, who's, you know, the prime character of this story. Mm. Uh, and like, this is, this is a lot like getting into this, but yeah, two, two of these main people. What, what can you say about Jerry in, in, in the making of the story and, and getting to know him? And, um, well, I mean, Jerry's, Jerry's incredible um, for anyone who ever met him. He's just warm and wonderful and he's really competitive. I mean, his every day of his life, he was competitive in, in the best way. You know, he wanted to win. He wanted Loyola to win. Um, and I got to know him really well. And um, he just kind of um, actually what he said to me was, this is, this is like a really a wonderful compliment. He said, he said, you know, Patrick, you ask me questions that no one has ever asked me about what we did. He's like, I really like that. People, people ask me questions like how many points did you score in the national championship game? You know, or, or, you know, tell me about your high school, your high school career as a basketball player. He actually only played one year in high school, which is an interesting part of his story. He only played, competitive basketball his senior year in high school but 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 we were i mean how would i say this obviously this is a sports story first and foremost but there was so much stuff about the story that had nothing to do with sports which we found which we found every bit as interesting so i would ask him questions about his mom i would ask him questions about his childhood i would ask him about living in Chicago and his relationship with his coach, what it was like on road trips with a, with a, not so much with opponents, but with like opposing teams, fan bases, there were some really dangerous road trips that took place. So that all this stuff around, basically we were as interested in life off the court as we were them as a team on the court. And I think Jerry, Jerry had been telling his teammates for years. He kept, he kept saying, you know, somebody should make a movie about what we did. You know, I think our story is really good. I, th I think our experience was really unique. And because of Corey and because of Mr. Parkinson and for all these things that kind of came together, we were able to tell that story. And Jerry, sadly, Jerry, Jerry also passed away. He passed away a couple of months before the film was finished. Mm -hmm. And that was really sad because I, I, no one would have liked the movie more than Jerry. I just think he would have loved the film. And um, so again, that's a real bittersweet part of this story. But um, 
I think that I think you both you both can relate to this is that you know when you take when you take the court before a game and you're warming up and the fans are getting into their seats and and then the game is going on and you know you're you're kind of in a bubble you yeah. know you're you're kind of you're you're the it's weird and with basketball it's really strange because the crowd is so close to you physically I mean, in a game like football or even baseball, the crowd is pretty far away. Yeah. In basketball, you could go flying into the crowd, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to get a rebound. And yet, and and you both can you both can tell me if I'm wrong or not. But when you're playing, like nobody there. I was just going to say that it's it's when you're playing the game of basketball, especially at a high level where there's a big crowd there. Yeah. That crowd is like a million miles away. Yeah. They're there, but they're not there. You're on the court living this unique experience with nine other players on the court. You know you know what's come to mind right now? I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Is the opening scene to the movie. Is mm. the, 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 the dribbling the, um, and just the sounds on the court. That, that, that's totally like kind of how I think of it sometimes. Is mm. the bubble. But it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I kind of I I love the opening of that of the movie because there's no edits in that it's raw footage and and you see the final free throw attempt in the miami loyola game which i believe was your first round game is that correct okay. was that yes. round one okay round one. so it's round one of the 2018 tournament and if that guy makes that free throw there's a probably a very different outcome yeah. And the ball bounces around the rim. It's hard to believe it didn't go in. It bounces around. It doesn't go in. And three and a half seconds later, the ball goes through the through the net or through the rim. And all during that sequence, you can only hear the ball and the players and the squeaking shoes. And um, it's really, I think it's really kind of really effective. Our, our, our edit team, William and Julia and Nick, were just fantastic editors and and uh and so um but i i i feel like to get to get back to what i was saying before is like i feel like when you're a high level athlete people forget that you're also just a human being and so especially with the 63 ramblers they won a national championship. Very few people can make that claim. And yet, I don't think many people over the years really asked them about just what the rest of their life was like. They just kind of wanted to know about the basketball story. And uh, and the story of, of their the rest of their life, I think, is more interesting, frankly, than the fact that they won a championship. The, the thing is, winning a championship is unique winning a championship and having to go through what they went through puts them in a class all by themselves. Mm-hmm. I really think that, I really think they stand alone um, in, in, in sort of the pantheon of, of college, college basketball and college sports. There, there, there've been a few other teams obviously over the years that have overcome something really unique. And clearly the, was it the Texas Western team? Yeah, I was going to, I was going to mention that. 
uh, you know, when Jerry, later. Yeah. yeah, when Jerry mentioned, you know, someone should make a movie about this. Well, they, they, they made a movie, but it was just, that's why, that's why Loyola is kind of this forgotten team. Like you had, you had mentioned because, you know, and they made that movie, I think it was 2006. They made that glory uh, road. Yeah. Glory road. Yeah. And, um, yeah. which is a similar story, but not the same, you know, each story is its own. Yeah. It's kind of funny too, because like, we heard that a lot and and I actually had not seen that film. Some of my teammates were like, Oh, this is kind of feels a little bit like glory road. I'm like, what's glory road. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Um, but I, it's a, I it's know. different because it's a movie and this is more of yeah. sort of documentary. a yeah. documentary style. And, and there's, I think there's, there's other qualities depth. to it. There's more depth in, in yeah. the Loyola project. You know, Glory Road maybe is a little Hollywoodized, you know, mm. type, type of feel to it. Um, definitely, you know, yeah. definitely a movie I've seen. Yeah, and I, I think, I think, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right. I think people, if they knew about the '63 Ramblers, they knew that they knew about the game of change, and they knew about Glory Road. They mm. didn't know about the guys who played on the team. And we're right. like, that's a great opportunity. Like those get that story really hasn't been told. Like Ron Miller and Jack Egan and mm-hmm. Jerry Harkness and Les Hunter and Vic Rouse and, and their teammates and their coach and and everything they went through to do what they did. I just felt like that just hadn't really been done. Sure. And and so again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, like we sometimes make like a studio film and then we sometimes will make an independent film. If if we can't if we can't find interest in the story with a studio, Netflix, HBO, ESPN, whoever, and we really want to do it, we just do it. Yeah. We just, we've done enough. We've made enough movies and we have enough experience that we know that really all we need is money. Mm-hmm. Everything else we'll figure out. You know, and the, the, one of the nice things about Loyola Project that I'm really proud of is that CBS Sports, the CBS Sports Network aired that movie multiple times during the tournament in 2022. And then they aired it on, on during Final Four weekend on CBS. Yeah. They put it on their main network. Um, they came in as partners very much toward the end. The movie was almost completed by the time we brought it to them. Um, they really weren't they really weren't financial partners of ours. It wasn't like they wrote us a big fat check or anything. We we raised the money ourselves. We had a film that we were really proud of. We really liked the idea of bringing this story to their college basketball audience. And we brought it to them and said, we'd really like to air this on CBS. And um, and they said, yes. They said, this is fantastic. We love it. So again, CBS Sports probably would have passed on this, you know, 36 months earlier. But when you show up with the film and they love it, then you get what you set out to do, which is you told the story and you showed it to a lot of people. So anyways. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was just thinking, uh, you know, one of the differences between the Texas Western story, the, the Loyola story is, you know, like a guy like George Ireland, who you covered uh, mm. thoroughly through that. And then also the presence of Jack Egan, which uh, something I really appreciate about yeah. the film it's a credit to you and your relationship with these guys, how honest Jack and Jerry are about their feelings toward each other, especially early on and, and how they, they grew um, together, like personally and, and as a team. Um, 
And I, Jack, I, 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 really, I do. I want to say one thing. Jack is, Jack is fantastic. And, um, and you're right. He was very honest about what it was like to play on that team, to be the only white person on that team. He was honest about his own upbringing, mm-hmm. um, South side of Chicago, um, very, very segregated part of the city. Um, and to, to Jack's credit, he was just honest about that. He, he, um, um, in fact, what he says in the movie, which I, which I love is that when he would go back to his neighborhood, his friends would say, Oh, you're, you're only starting because of the five members of your team, you're the only white guy and you must be the smart one. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. Jack's like, I'm not the smart one. Les is the smart one, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's two things about those assumptions that I actually kind of love. The assumptions that his friends were making. One of them is, why is the white guy the smart guy? That, that, how does that make sense? And apparently Les Hunter had an incredible basketball mind and his teammates all knew that. And, but the second thing is that they kind of assumed that Jack must not have been very good. And his teammates were like, no, Jack was amazing. Yeah. Jerry says that. He's like, I didn't think he was much of a ball player. And then I watched him play. I'm like, that guy really knows how to play. So there's, it's funny how people make assumptions about their abilities based on the color of their skin or some other factor. They just kind of assume. And maybe this is, I hope, hopefully those assumptions continue to erode away um, as time marches on. But in 1963, America was a, was a very different place. And Jack was gracious enough to be honest about his experience, as were all the guys on the, on the, on the, um, on the, on the story in the story, I should say. So, um, but yeah, you, but you were going to say something else well, well as well. That exact line uh, is something that has struck with me like however many times I've seen it now. And actually like at the panel, you know, we're at theater on the lake and I'm not sure exactly what was asked of Drew um, because right after Jack um, says that they talk about the media coverage of the, the players on the time. And like it mm-hmm. goes against what, what Jack was saying and how, the white players are largely described as like they had the smart, the wit and stuff like that. And black players are just athletic freaks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a couple things to this. For one, uh, Drew brought up that he thinks that's, that's not totally out there. Or it's not erased from our society today. And I totally agree with that. And I see this all the time um, and it's frustrating and it's something true to, I think Drew's case, I don't, I'm not sure how personally he brought this up, but obviously he's a young black coach in America. Um, but just, just he um, is like not alone in, in these black coaches nowadays that when they get hired, it's immediately, oh, they're uh, they're a player's coach or um, they're for recruiting and, and stuff like that, which is just so frustrating to me. Like, like Mike Tomlin is a good example in the NFL. People have always said he's a player's coach, and, and that's how you don't be that successful without having a great mind. Um, and I would say well, about just Drew, just to interject, like I'm a Notre Dame grad, and Marcus Freeman. It's just, exactly. you a conversation all day long about Marcus. Yeah. Well, the players really like him. It's like, well, yeah. how about the fact that maybe he's just a good coach? I, yeah. I'm in Indiana. I've literally heard that exact thing from multiple people. Um, 
And but for for Drew's case, I think Drew's strongest uh, asset is his X's and O's on both offense and defense, and he'll attest that as far as like uh, mm. becoming head coach and like putting his head coach hat on sometimes. And mm. he knows he's still learning. And that that's just something I want to say on that. Um, and you know what? You can see it. You still see it like in the NBA, like the World Cup right now. There's some egregious examples of, of that, of how they mm. describe people from non-European countries. Um, but it, it's it's comical to me in the NBA sometimes. Uh, guys like, because you can see it from the other side. When people talk about a guy like Alex Caruso or Pat Connaughton or, uh, gosh, what's, what, what's the guy? Um <laughs> when they talk about guys like that they uh they're often described as like having being like full of wits and and they're gritty and and they make winning plays like those guys are freaks they're athletic freaks um and and it's just it's just frustrating to me sometimes it's like it's kind of unjust to call those microaggressions but it's just something i still see a lot today and and i'm glad that that is brought up in the film grace grace and allen is the other guy i was thinking of those three People always just, it's like about their mind. Um, it, it just like in a, in a reverse way, it's frustrating. Well, and, and one thing I'll, one thing I'll just say, the, the great thing about sports in general, and I think the reason this, that sports moves the needle so often in society is that at the end of the game, somebody won and somebody lost. Mm-hmm. No, you know, whether it's Muhammad Ali or Billie Jean King is a, is a great example. She was, you know, she's, you actually see her picture in the film at the end. We yeah. talk about other athletes who are heroes and, and trailblazers. And Billie Jean King, I think, was probably the first, like, publicly gay woman that I knew mm-hmm. as a kid. I was pretty, you know, I was born in 1967. She had that really famous uh, battle against a, a, a Bobby Riggs, who was um, a male, male tennis player, and she beat him. And, um, and that was a big deal. Um, but the thing about ath- athletes and sports is at the end of the day, you have a winner and you have a loser. And, and, and if someone becomes a champion, um, they, they, they're the best. And so, again, you look, at, you look at the Muhammad Ali's, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, the 1963 Loyola Ramblers, Look at Megan Rapino. Yeah. Her her battles with pay equity and, and supporting women athletes all around the world. Those people are leaders and and they they have they have succeeded in an arena that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us will never compete in. And mm-hmm. they've gone and competed and won. And and so it's I think it's really important to listen to what athletes have to say lebron i mean i haven't mentioned lebron but obviously he's right up there as well Mm -hmm. Uh, these are people who have a unique perspective and when they step up to a microphone and want to address a a current pressing issue we would be fools not to listen to what they have to say it's just it's it's crazy yeah yeah thank you yeah it's definitely uh definitely a major part of the story that 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 i like um you know like i just mentioned how that was that was from the panel and, and you've already mentioned how that's part of the deal if, if schools want to do this and you've traveled across the country uh, uh showing this do you uh do you have any like main 
kind of comments or maybe like a striking one you remember um, or maybe a question from yeah. some of the panels that uh, you'd really like to, to bring up that, that stuck out to you? Well, definitely. I mean, everybody asks about the mail. Yeah. Everyone asks about the hate mail that is talked about in the film. Mm-hmm. And, um, and unfortunately, that, that is an issue that has yet to be resolved. And without getting too into the weeds, um, in our story, we see that, um, that Jerry Harkness received hate mail in his dorm room. This was right before the tournament began in 1963. Mm-hmm. And he got, a, he, got, he got one or two letters um, delivered to his dorm room. And these were threatening, angry letters, definitely racially motivated um, about you guys aren't going to do you guys. We're going to whoop your ass in the tournament. And 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 it was it was really ugly, actually. I mean, I've seen I've seen a lot of these letters and it was really ugly. What is really bizarre about the mail is that as soon as those first few letters came in, Jerry told his coach and his coach said to the mailman, I don't want any more hate mail going to their rooms. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're heading toward the tournament. There are these obnoxious letters coming in. And I understand that if I, and if I was the coach, I probably would have done the same thing is like, don't send this mail to these guys. I don't want them distracted. Yeah. And I don't want him to be scared. However, what the coach did, which I think is wrong, yeah. is the coach took all the mail. He never shared the mail with the players, but he shared it with his family and some of the other coaches. And the mail was so threatening that the coach hired security guards to watch after his daughters who were students at Loyola at the time, but he didn't do the same thing for his players. That is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, can I swear on your podcast? Yeah. And the reason it's bullshit is those threats were aimed at players and they were no longer aware of the threats and they weren't even, they didn't even really believe that the mail was real. They thought that maybe George was telling tall tales about hate mail. Now, this is 1963. Cut to 2019 when we're making the movie, and I'm with his daughter, who's now, she's in her 80s. And I asked her about the mail, and I told her that some of the players don't even believe there was any mail. And she's like, I'll show you. And she opened up these envelopes. There was probably three or 400 pieces of mail. Wow. I read through them. She didn't want him to be in the movie. Um, and the reason she gave me was that she felt like her dad didn't want to amplify all that hatred. Like she, he didn't want to give a microphone to those people. Again, I almost kind of, that almost kind of makes sense to me, I, I guess. And by the way, any mail that was sent to George Ireland, she's his daughter. And legally, she owns that mail. So she can do whatever she wants. The problem was, I said, what about the mail that was sent to the players? That is not your dad's mail. It's their mail. And these guys want to see those letters. And they wouldn't give us the mail. Hmm. And that 
and we talk about that in the film and you see yeah. that yeah. and that's the part that remains unsettling to me and everybody asks about the mail they're like how come they haven't shown the letters to the players mm-hmm. um and this this question of we don't want to amplify these awful sentiments and we don't want to amplify this racism i guess that i i guess there's some truth to that but they have zero right yeah. to hold on to mail that isn't theirs and they have never given it up and i will say something i mean i'll just obviously i'm very upset about this yeah what the family didn't know was that when i was there that day i snapped some photos of some of the mail i had a feeling this was going to get weird and i snapped a few photos of some of the letters without them knowing i didn't have permission to use the mail in the film but i did take some pictures i mean i'm a, I'm a documentary filmmaker yeah. i'm a reporter i wanted some proof that there was actually mail and there was and i have a whole bunch of them and i also have i also have photos of postcards that were written to all five of the starters and they're addressed to all five of the starters when when it came down to the 11th hour of finishing the film i told the i told the ireland family at the very least you have to give us the mail that's the player's mail and they said well i guess, you know, I guess you're right about that we hadn't thought of that we'll call you back next week and they called us back next week and said we looked through all the mail and there's no mail to the players wow. That's a flat out lie. Yeah. And it really bothers me. It really, really bothers me that they have Jerry Harkness's mail. Mm-hmm. And Jerry desperately wanted to see that mail. And he's Jerry's gone now. Yeah. But like there's no I told like I literally I was trying to help them make the right decision. And I was like, there's no way that you can defend this decision that you're making. And, and by the way, if you decide not to show us the mail, we're going to put that in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, is that a threat? I'm like, it's not a threat. It's we're yeah. reporters. We're telling a story and people want to know what happened to the mail. We're going to tell them. So it's a really strange, it's like a ghost. Yeah. It's like a ghost from the past that won't go away. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the Ireland family has refused to share the mail. Hmm. What I would love is for what I would love, because because it doesn't do any good to, for people just to be yelling at each other and for there to be hard feelings. What hmm. I would love is for the Ireland family to give all the mail to the university and it should be in the university archives. It's part yeah. of the story. Yep. And the problem is what here's what's bizarre. And I, I didn't mention this. What is bizarre is that while we were making the film, the guys on the team, including Jack and Jerry and Ron, who were the three I probably got to know best, Vic had passed away and Les was actually really sick while we were making the film. But of those three starters, they all told me that they don't think there is any mail. So how are you gonna learn from the past if you bury it? Yeah. It's it's a, it's actually one of the reasons, and I told Steve Watson this, who I just 
I'm like the biggest fan of Steve. He's incredible. He was so helpful when we were making the film and so supportive. He's the athletic director at Loyola. But I told Steve, it's one of the it's one of the reasons we called the movie the Loyola Project. Because we knew while we were making it that there was a lot of unfinished business mm-hmm. with this story. And so maybe if we ever get the mail back, maybe we will retitle the film. But until we get the mail back, we're calling it the Loyola Project because we're still working on this. We just, it's one of those things that like right is right and wrong is wrong. And the Ireland family is in the wrong place on this. And, and, And to just to take it one step further, what I told them was, I know you love your father and I know you love your grandfather. You know, because I was work, I was working with his daughter and his grandson, and they love him. Of course, they do. He was he was family, and he was a great guy. They're doing him a disservice by hanging on to the mail, because it casts suspicion around him yeah. and around their family. And all they have to do is pack up the mail and send it to the university. Mm-hmm. I, and I'll even take it one step further. If they're listening, they can reach out to me, and I'll, and we'll do this we would be willing to copy to make photocopies of all the mail and they can keep the originals and the photocopies can go to the school and then they can keep this thing. They have a real connection to the mail because it's like a connection to him. And I understand that I'm not trying to diminish that and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but the school and the players and the community and the the world at, at large has a right to know what kind of mail these guys were receiving as college athletes. And until they do that, it opens the door to denying that it happened. It opens the door to forgiving or forgetting really bad behavior that was happening at the time. And I think that's wrong. Yep. Absolutely. And that's, I'm going to step down off my, off my soap. No, no, no. That's a major part of, Oh God. It's, it's, yeah. It's actually, it's really funny because there was a, there was a woman on our team named Julia Zaramba, who's a fantastic editor and she's the, one of the co-writers of the film, just a great teammate for, for me and Christine and our team. And she was so mad about the mail. She was furious. Like she's like, we, she, it almost was at the point where she's like, you know, she's pretty old and we could probably take her in a fight if it came to that. <laughs> I mean, she didn't say that, but Julia was like, that sucks that they won't give yeah. us the mail. And and I was really upset. But at the same time, because they had made their final decision, there was no talking them out of this. I tried for two years. I actually drove to Northern California twice to get the mail. And both times I came home empty handed. I was really pissed. Hmm. Um, and she said to me, you know, she said to me that she was really, really, really upset about us not having the mail. And I realized kind of right, right, right when it all happened and when this all went down, then in a weird way, they're, they're kind of handing us a gift in a way, in a weird way, it adds a lot of intrigue about the story. And it, it sort of speaks to like, why is racism and why are lots of social problems, it's not just racism, but why why do these problems persist? And I think oftentimes it's because people want to bury, bury the evidence of of bad behavior. Um well, and so, yeah. they're not alone. The, the Ireland's aren't alone. Well, look, 
look at look at yeah here's a here's a great example let's say you're a family let's say you're a family there's a family unit it's a two parents and several kids and 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 one of the family members is is struggling with abuse of some sort let's let's call it substance abuse i think the old school way of looking at that is to hide it And that's fine. And believe me, people have a right to privacy and their own privacy and their family privacy. However, when you start to talk about a problem that exists inside of a family, let's say, the problem becomes a little less scary. I think people who find out about it realize that they're not alone because they might be dealing with a similar problem. And so I think talking about a problem is a way to fix the problem mm-hmm. and not talking about it and not looking at the problem is a wonderful way for the problem to persist. And I think mm-hmm. that's really what's kind of happening with, um, with the male and, and with this part of the story that remains unresolved. Yeah, no, definitely that, like the transparency of things. Um, and I, I was just about to say like, they're not alone as far as like, people in America get governments, state governments that are, have uh, a feeling towards hiding parts of our history, um, mm. which is frustrating. Definitely is. Here, by the way, here's another crazy thing that's kind of happened as we were releasing the, the movie and touring around the country is that there are now, because of what happened in the summer of 2020 and because of, because of the, I would say largely because of how powerful the Black Lives Matter movement became very quickly in the summer of 2020. And there were so many allies of of Black Lives Matter that maybe weren't there in years before. There 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 were people who looked like me who were marching in the streets. You know what I mean? Like there were a lot of allies that kind of came yeah. to the movement. Um, and obviously I know that, I know that when that happened, the Loyola basketball team was really united, um, and, and had a really strong voice in, in saying where they stand and where their support lies. Um, but, um, I think in reaction to Black Lives Matter, and 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 probably to some of the other social movements that are happening at the moment, um, there are 38 states now that are considering legislation that will limit education or classroom instu- instruction that makes people in the audience or in the classroom feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And so there's and this where this really fits in is on like state run universities. So if you go to Ohio state or you go to Idaho state or, you know, Cal Berkeley or, you know, you name it, (coughs) the, the state legislators are debating whether or not they can cancel or remove from the curriculum, certain topics and certain books and movies that make people feel uncomfortable, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. I mean, our movie would definitely fall into that. Our movie makes some people uncomfortable. Um, It's shocking and sad to me that we're 
that that's our country right now. Yeah. It's like butt uh, burn. It's yeah. bizarre. Uh, it, Indiana is, is definitely in one of those 38 states. They haven't made yeah. too much progressions on that. Actually, my, my, my town's school board elections went more positively than I expected. Um, <clears> but, <throat> but yeah, that's definitely, definitely present in uh, what's going on right now. And it, it's another reason to, to really appreciate this film. Um, with, with everything that has happened. Uh, I mean, do you have anything else? Patrick, we've gone on much longer than we originally said. Thank you so much for this. I'm sure we could talk uh, yeah. all day. We, yeah. If we let this thing roll, we could probably talk for a long time. But, uh, you know, Patrick, we, we, we appreciate you coming on. You know, you, you uh, gave us great insight, gave us some, some great, great topics to discuss. Um, you know, and then it's a conversation that needs to continue, right? Um, you know, as far as, far as social change and everything like that. So, um, you know, we, we really appreciate it. I, I, I love being on with you guys today. This was really great. And I, and I will say one thing to you, Krat, because you were, you appear in the film a couple of times. And the day we set up the Zoom call uh, between you and your teammates and the yeah, 1963 yeah. guys, we did a Zoom call, and I just didn't know how that was going to go, because like Zoom was this was early in the pandemic, yeah. and Zoom was kind it's of a new thing. And I was like, is this going to be like really cheesy that we have like a Zoom call in our movie? You know, I, I just was like, I don't even know if this is going to work. And like immediately, like one minute into the call, I was like, this is awesome. This yeah. is the sixty-three guys doing doing most of the talking. I don't. I don't mean that in a neg- negative way. The the yeah, sixty three. No, yeah. They yeah. were telling the story. They they were explaining yeah. you guys what they went through, and you guys sat there, and it seemed to me that you were enthralled with what they were saying. You, you were completely locked on every single word that they said, and 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 what I. F- found out during the story is it's very hard to get world-class athletes to talk about their own vulnerabilities. They're just not wired that way. They're, they're yeah. wired to compete and to succeed. And so in the case of a lot of the 63 guys who were world-class athletes and national champions, they just didn't really know how to talk about what they were going through. And yet, almost sixty years later, they had a chance to get together with you guys and 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 talk about their personal lives and their life off the court. And it was it's one of my favorite things in the movie. And I every time I watch it, I love hearing what the guy what the sixty three guys have to say. But I really love looking at the looks on all your faces, you and your teammates. You guys were just just taking it all in. I mean, they, yeah. they were literally passing their story on to you guys and arming you with really valuable information uh, that I'm sure will help you in, in, in your road ahead. So yeah, that, that turned out to be really kind of one of my favorite things in the film. And I'm so happy that you were a part of that. Yeah. And, uh, well, thank you very much, guys. Yeah. Yes. Patrick, thank you so much. Um, w- Definitely. I hope anyone that's listened to this, if you haven't seen the film, you, you have to now, right? Right. So it's, uh, it's it was really nice of you, Patrick, to come on and, and share everything. Um, and you're always welcome in Rogers Park. Uh, 
if we're back. Got to get out to a game. Got to get out to a game one of these next this year. Absolutely. No, absolutely. For sure. Um, Take take care of Lucas for us. Thank you very much. Yeah. Say that that again. I said, take care of Lucas for us out there, man. I will. We'll keep an eye out. He's he's our neighbor now. So he's out in LA with us. So awesome. Well, thank you guys. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, again, thank you so much for Patrick. Uh, we talked to him, like he a busy day kind of popped up for him. And we originally said 30 to 45 minutes. Um, but man, uh, he, he had a lot to give and we appreciate that. Um, yeah, we, we really could go on for, for further, but uh, I, think, I think we got a, a good chunk of uh, stuff that's really important about that story. So yeah. that was great. Crit, crit, do you have any reaction to that? No, I, I, uh, like you said, thanks to Patrick. And, um, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go watch it tonight, you know, with your family, your friends, go watch the Loyola project. It's great stuff. I'm I'm sure most of the people listening right now, oh, 80% of you guys, I'm not sure what kind of numbers we got on that poll. Cause normally we're not the greatest with, uh, <laughs> old numbers, but, um, go watch it. If you haven't watched it. Um, you know, great story. Loyola was, everyone thinks it's Texas, Texas Western, but no, Loyola was first. So hey, hope you guys hey, enjoyed hey, the interview. The documentary Cincinnati too. Cincinnati had, they had four yeah. black players in the 1962 national championship, but obviously we love the, uh, the story from Rogers park as well. Um, you know what I'll do is like I want to hear people's reaction to, to the the film or maybe some comments they have about uh, what Patrick shared with us today. So I'll I'll make another Dropbox for people to share, and uh, if we like something, we'll, we'll definitely share people's perspective um, on it. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, and also go uh, go to the loyalaproject.com. Check it out. There's a, yeah. there's a bunch of cool stuff. I mean. There's a, I might get this poster, man. This poster's kind of cool. I already, I, I ordered it, man. I, on Black Other Friday. things, um, yeah. you know, you can, you can, it's very interactive and, and things like that. You watch a trailer and stuff. So go check it out. And uh, yeah. Paramount, Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Um, okay. So with other things, uh, I'm going to see if I can get to that Albany game Sunday. If not, I'll definitely be watching. And then, like we said, they're, uh, They'll be uh, out in uh, Northern California next week. Another neutral game with the Power Five team. Uh, yeah. Thanks for playing us, Stanford. I guess, but so just have. give us a home and home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. That'll be good. Um, yeah, that that's all we got for today. Go Blairs. Go Blairs.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.